The second time, do the high part, uh -huh. and then, and then the for each of the bridges, we're going to turn the volume in the front uh -huh. up. Okay. Um, and then the tag at the end, I'll do like basically every other line. Okay. Um, and so if you want to do the repeat, like right here. do a four movement turn, or you can do it with me, do a four movement and then make whatever you want to okay. do. Especially the last time when I was like the piece a little quieter, but I think it's really good okay. for if you want to do that all of it. Okay. So I'll do that. Um, yeah. Okay. So and then it's always of course as the spirit moves. <laughs> always of course. Please stand with me. Together we will read two New City Catechism questions. Read question 19 with me. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Yes, to satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall one shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The word of God for the people of God. Now read question 20 with me. Who is the redeemer? The only redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Keely. Good to have each of you, some of the summer crowd returning. We get to see Nancy back and others that we haven't seen in a while. We love all of you and glad you're here today. We miss those traveling a lot on our leadership team, Rifle and Shippen. We miss Shippen's playing. I know Micah's out of town. We missed his bass guitar and the Chacones, Richard and Dolores. We miss them and just many others that are traveling, but we're glad you're here today. And 
We are continuing in the New City Catechism, looking at the basic doctrines of our faith. We'll be looking at the theme today of God's plan to reconcile us through a Redeemer. We'll be looking at what a Redeemer means. To deem something worthy of value. How much is it worth? Good testimony of of John's. What, What our life is worth. What we're told it is worth by others compared to what we're told it is worth by God. Amen? Well, well, we looked at the question before this, as you see how the catechism works. Uh, we've looked at, for a long time, the fall, the doctrine of the fall, what it looks like, our disobedience. And our last question was, will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? And the answer was no. God won't allow our sin and our disobedience and our idolatry to go unpunished. So how can we escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? That's the next question. Is there any hope? Is there any way we can uh, get back into God's favor and escape this punishment that we're rightfully due? And the answer today is yes. To satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a Redeemer. You ready to look and discover the hope that God has for us in our Redeemer? I am. I, this, this part of looking at the severity of God's justice and his law, what he expects, and now when we finally get to this part, we're going to be digging into what it looks like for Jesus to be our Redeemer. Who that Redeemer is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The text that we'll look at first is the text read this morning from Isaiah 53.10. Hear the word of the Lord in this first verse from Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The will of the Lord to crush him. The old King James Version said, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That might take some thought to understand that, right? That it pleased the Lord to bruise him. NASB, but the Lord desired to crush him. In our commentaries, we had a pastor, Micah Edmondson, say this about this particular point, trying to understand what it means that it pleased the Lord. Somehow, he says, it actually pleased the Lord to hand his innocent son over to be mocked, brutalized, and crucified. That's a nearly impossible truth to fathom. Do you all agree with that? This is very, very difficult to understand. A lot of people don't, and they get turned off by that whole idea. It really takes some listening and understanding to what that could mean. What is the prophet Isaiah saying? This Micah Edmondson goes on to say, Until you realize why God was pleased 
Certainly God was not pleased by the sin of Judas who betrayed Jesus. He was not pleased by the religious leaders who hated his son or Pilate who unjustly sentenced him or the misguided crowd who rejected him. God was not pleased with all of those things. But God was pleased by the active and passive obedience of his son who continued to trust God and love his people no matter the cost. Can you imagine that pleasing the Father? Yes. He says, God was pleased to lay his judgment upon the Son in order to save his sinful people. God was pleased because through the cross, the Son of God would be glorified. The people of God would be saved. The justice of God would be satisfied. And the love of God would be revealed. Wouldn't that please God? Knowing what it would accomplish, all of that. So we look at the cross as not being a tragic accident. It was God's will. That's what the scripture says. It was his will to crush him. You could say it was his plan to save his people through the work of a redeemer. That's what we're talking about today, a redeemer. And to reveal the immeasurable riches of his glorious grace. When I looked at this and it talked about God was pleased by the active and passive obedience of his son. We read some other things in the commentary about how Jesus pleased God through his active obedience. Like his constant trusting in the Father in every moment of his life. Think of that kind of active obedience. Like always walking in obedience to please the Father. And the Father's plan and will for his life him never being separated from it. This perfect walking in obedience. Yes, it's a perfect keeping of the law. Yes, it's a perfect pleasing of God and all of his holy nature and statutes that he revealed in his law. Jesus keeps all that. And he just keeps this perfect trust with God. He said, I and the Father are one. And that was just never broken. He walked in that complete active obedience of trusting the Father in every moment. And I think how Short, I fall of that. Anybody with me? Can't make it through a day or an hour, maybe. Like, have I, you know, I can't, you know, just, but Jesus did his act of obedience. And then his just passive of obedience, like, you're going to do what I ask you to do concerning the cross and in the garden. You're going to do what we talked about about obedience when it comes to this tree. Adam disobeyed in the garden. He said, here's the tree. Don't disobey me. And Adam disobeyed. He ate from the one tree in that garden. And in the next scene, we're in the garden, and Jesus is suffering. It's a passive suffering. It's, it's, it's upon him. He's crying out to the Father, and God says, obey me about the tree. Obey my will. And he was crushed in the garden of Gethsemane, a place where olives were crushed. And the aroma of his crushing was pleasing because God knew what it would take. And his 
passive suffering and all that he went through, what we read, the, the mocking, the beating, the crown of thorns, and all that he knew was coming, he followed and he obeyed the Father and he said, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted in that passive obedience to the suffering under the hands of men. Only at the cross do God's perfect justice and mercy meet his, all that we've studied in the demands of his justice of his law now meet at the cross, and they only make sense in the cross. They only make sense if you understand the cross. God gives you the wisdom that the cross is the wisdom and the power of God. Only through God's appointed Redeemer can God's punishment for sin be satisfied so He can justly forgive sinners through His grace alone. Mercy meets perfect, mere mercy. Mercy alone, grace alone meets with the justice of God perfectly at the cross of Christ. He laid His judgment upon His Son. This was His plan. This was His will to bruise Him, to crush Him, in order to save his sinful people. I'd say your life is worth a lot more than a dime. A lot more. Value is determined by the price one is willing to pay for it. That's what determines value. And the value of you was worth the cost of the blood of the Son of God, his very life given upon you. For the Father to bruise him, he knew to crush him in order to save a sinful people. This is what it would take to redeem. This is our Redeemer. He is willing. Isaiah 53.10 goes on to say, When his soul makes an offering for guilt, people have guilt. Even without the Lord, they have guilt. God gives them a conscience to know Unless that conscience is completely seared, their heart hardened, you know, which can happen. People sense and know right from wrong. And Jesus came and his soul was to make an offering for guilt, to pay the penalty for sin. What does it mean, mean to make an offering for guilt, to be the guilt offering? A guilt offering has to die. Isaiah understands this. To be a guilt offering, they knew what that meant. So if this guilt offering gives his life and dies, how is it that we would understand the following portion of this verse in Isaiah 53.10? If he dies, if he gives up his life to be the guilt offering for sin, how, how shall he see his offspring? What does that mean? How shall he prolong his days? What do you mean prolong his days? He just died. He just gave his life as a guilt offering. Isaiah, prophets are hard to understand, aren't they? They're sometimes difficult to understand. How will he see the fruit of what his offering accomplished? Is there any hope to understand any of this in the gospel? Is this a hint? towards overcoming death and the sin offering being resurrected from the dead and prolonging his days. 
that he may see the fruit of him being bruised and crushed for the sins of his people, to see the fruit of you and I gathered here together and and the churches that are gathered together announcing the good news of the gospel today, thousands of years later still announcing the good news of Jesus' death and that he provided as the Redeemer the guilt sin offering for our sin and he was resurrected from the day and his days are prolonged to see all of his offspring. Hebrews 2.10 says, It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, think of this kind of redeemer, (laughs) one for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory. In bringing many sons to glory should make the founder and their salvation perfect through suffering. That passive obedience made perfect through his suffering, offering himself as a guilt offering, would produce the family of God. On earth, the people bringing many children, making them children of God. This servant brings many sons to glory through his suffering, yet he dies And yet he gets to live again, glorified at God's right hand. And he gets to watch you come to faith in him and trust in him. And he rejoices over you and he dances over your salvation. And heaven sing when someone comes to the Lord. All his being crushed produces a fragrant aroma. Ephesians 5 says his his crushing, his what the love of God did in his son was produce a fragrant aroma, pleasing. The crushing of olives produce a great blood from the olive, that oil, olive oil. It has a fragrant aroma when you sprinkle it on some onions and start your Italian meal especially. Put some garlic in there and other things. Jesus is that fragrant aroma. He is that redeemer that was crushed and bruised for our iniquities. And his days are prolonged. And death cannot touch him again. His days are prolonged as a glorified, exalted man at the right hand of God. And he watches many sons come to glory. Many children come to faith in him. And it's a sweet smell when he can smell what he accomplished at the cross. And the Father is so pleased so pleased, and it pleased him to bruise him. It pleased the Father to crush him because he knew what it would accomplish. Amen? He knew his plan was perfect. He knew his plan was glorious. And it says this was done, the Father bruising, crushing the Son with his knowledge. Isaiah 53, 11 goes on and says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, I just want you to hear that. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, that's Isaiah, he's saying my servant. Who is this servant? Our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that now. Still a mystery to some rabbis. Who is my servant? We don't know. But we do. We know it is Jesus. This righteous one, my servant, Make many be accounted to righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. By his knowledge, this wasn't sprung on God. I've, I've had people ask me before, why couldn't Jesus just die? Why couldn't someone just shoot him in the back alley? Just, you know, why, should, why, why did he have to do this public thing and the cross and, and all of these things? It was the plan of God, the perfect plan of God, 
to lift him up upon that tree to bruise him in one of the most agonizing ways that humanity has invented to kill a person slowly. In the plan and foreknowledge of God, it pleased him to do that, to pay that price out of his divine love for sinful humanity. It was his plan. It pleased him. And it wasn't a surprise on Jesus when he was in the garden. They planned this before the foundation of the world. And he knew, but it was agonizing. He said, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup to take your wrath against sin. Jeremiah 25 says, the cup of the Lord's wrath. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, say to me, take from my hands this cup of the wine of wrath. This, this cup that he was talking about was taking upon that wrath of God, that just and righteous wrath of God against sin, upon himself, in our stead, what we deserved, dying in our place. This is the Redeemer I announce to you today, who is Jesus Christ, who is God himself made flesh, dying in your place where you deserve to die taking on the penalty of the punishment of sin that we deserved as sinful human beings. Jesus knew it. A Redeemer, knowing that knowledge, knowing and having the knowledge of the cost that it would take to redeem sinful man, He joyfully obeyed the Father. Joyfully obeyed the Father. Mind-boggling. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? I announce to you today, yes, to satisfy his justice, God himself, out of his mere mercy, you might say sheer grace, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment of sin by a redeemer, which leads to this next question. We can combine it today. Who is the redeemer? We're already announcing him. Who is he? The only redeemer, the only redeemer, hear me believers, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal son of God, who became man and bore the penalty of sin himself. There is no other redeemer. Our scripture is 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. There's one redeemer. There is only one who has paid this kind of price. There is only one who could, can, could, and did. Jesus. It says that he is the eternal Son of God. There is no Buddha. There is no Muhammad. There is no multi-pantheon of Hindu gods that are the eternal Son of God and capable of even being the Redeemer and bearing worthily the iniquity of your sin. There is no other Redeemer other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went on and read 1 Timothy 2.6 who gave himself as a ransom He paid the price. No one else has paid the price. No one else has satisfied the Father God in heaven. No one else but the Lord. He is the only one true Redeemer. John Chrysostom, in our commentary, he delves into this in a kind of deep way, but I think we can understand parts of this. He says, the only begotten, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Redeemer. He's talking about Jesus who is before all ages, think of him, he's the eternal Son of God, right? He's before all ages, 
has now put on my body. Now that's hard to understand, but we might understand it through Philippians 2.7, that Jesus humbled himself and became a servant, and he was made in the likeness of man. You guys can understand, right? The incarnation. He humbled himself by putting on the likeness of man, being made man. With 1 John, we might say the Word, the eternal Word of God, like the eternal Son of God, became flesh. He put on human likeness. He came down from heaven. This is important. John says, uh, 3, 12 through 13, he says, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then Jesus says this to Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven except him who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. We need a Redeemer who sees and knows and created all the heavenly realm and brings that reality down to earth. We need somebody who knows what they're talking about. And Jesus goes, I know what I'm talking about. Because I have descended. I was the word of God. I was the eternal son of God. I created all things. I came down to earth. I can explain to you heavenly things. And I am the creator of these things. This is what John Chrysostom is, is trying to delve into. He says he is the ancient of days and has become an infant. Let that boggle your mind. The ancient of days, the Bible talks about, has now become an infant, been, 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 been incarnate. This is the Redeemer that we have. And he says he sits upon the sublime and heavenly throne. He who sits on the sublime and heavenly throne now lies in a manger. Maybe we can say this even though it's not Christmas time. That's beautiful. That's beautifully said. He came down from the sublime throne, heavenly throne, and he lays in a manger. He who could not be touched by human hands now is being cared for by a human mother, just like your mother cared for, humbly submitting himself to this. This is the Redeemer who loved you and gave it all up to come and redeem you. John Chrysostom goes on to say, Now the word that was made flesh, you can abide in his word now. You can understand his word because the word was made flesh. He was made in the likeness of man. And now he can take his word and implant it in you. Here's what James said. Ridding yourself of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility receive the word implanted. Can you do that? In humility receive the word implanted. You can because the word was made flesh. He can implant that supernatural, not just reading the Bible. I've had guys read the Bible. Ran into one guy that had most of the Bible uh, memorized while I was going out to Fort Stanton. <laughs> this guy could quote every verse. I started going through whole passages with him. He could read them. I'd read my Bible with him. Amazing. But the word was not implanted in him and bringing salvation. It was just all a memory thing. There was no redeemer for him in it at that point. But Jesus came to make the word living and active in the believer who will humbly allow the word to be implanted in them. The living word implanted and it's capable of doing that now because Jesus came down from that sublime and heavenly throne and lied in a manger and went to the cross for us to be our redeemer 
He can also put his spirit within you now. The word and the spirit combined. John Chrysostom says, the word became flesh and gave me his spirit. He said, for this he assumed my body. So in a sense, he took on a human body that I may become capable of his word. We've talked about that. Taking on my flesh, he gives me his spirit. So he moves from word into his spirit. Bestowing and I receiving. He bestows, I receive. Sheer grace, his mere mercy. He prepares for me the treasure of life. He takes on my flesh to sanctify me. He gives me his spirit that he may save me. See, he took on that which was spiritual. That's what God was. God was spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he took on flesh, being made in the likeness of man, so that he could bestow on you his spirit. That might have been just, you know, I know the Holy Spirit can get this in you. It can grab you in new and profound and deep ways that because Jesus came, you have a Redeemer who took on the likeness of man so that he can bestow on you his Holy Spirit, that he can sanctify you as a man and set you apart as his daughter and son and fill you with his Spirit. This is all accomplished because we have a glorious and wondrous Redeemer. We're going to, I asked Teresa if she grasped some of that when I was talking and whether I should even begin down that road, and she said, might be too much. But I hope maybe the Holy Spirit taught some. She, she liked this a little bit clear from, from Mark Dever. He said it this way. You might like this better. The image of redemption in the Old Testament is one of God rescuing his people from Egypt pulling them out of bondage, literal slavery. In the New Testament, Jesus the Redeemer rescues us from our natural state of being in bondage to sin, of serving ourselves in destructive ways, but God in His great love sent His only begotten Son who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and then rose from the dead in order to bring us to him to redeem us. That's what it means when we say Jesus Christ is our redeemer. You're like, good, I'm glad you got to that one and read that because that makes sense. But we're going to sing and we're going to rejoice in our redeemer. Are you all ready to do that? To close in a profound song, the lyrics from my worth that we're going to sing and rejoice in. I want you to ponder a little bit before we sing them. It's about worth. It's about what John Bauer sh- shared today. You know, getting lined up and said your life isn't worth more than a dime. And yet God revealing to somebody your life is worth the eternal Son of God coming down and dying for you. It's worth more than any amount of gold and silver. It's worth the precious blood of my only son. So my worth is not in what I own. I don't determine myself because of materialism, this song says, but in the costly wounds of love. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who ransomed you, who paid the price ransom. He paid the ransom price for you. The costly wounds of love at the cross. What we're going to do is rejoice in my Redeemer. We're going to sing that. 
own who Jesus is when you say my, when you say my little Johnny, my little Samuel, my little Audrey, my little and your grandchildren and children. It means with affection. Say my Redeemer. He's my Redeemer. Let it sink in and may the word of God be implanted in your heart. And may you rejoice in your Redeemer, your greatest treasure, the wellspring of your soul. Whether you know it or not, he is the wellspring of your soul. He is the life energy that flows from his spirit through your life because we have a Redeemer. My soul is satisfied in him alone. There's nothing else that satisfies like my Redeemer. We're going to sing of this boasting and knowing Christ at the cross. And we're going to realize that this is a profound line. My worth to wonders here I confess. My worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed. My ransom paid at the cross. My value fixed. Your value is already fixed. It has been determined at the cross what you are worth to God to redeem a sinful people. He gave his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our redeemer. Amen? As we celebrate communion and remember our redeemer, we're going to sing that song, My Worth. And we have little cups for communion that are in the front here. If anybody doesn't have one, we can pass this around to them. Tom Hall did a great job last week with communion and reminding us of the value of this meal that we celebrate together our Redeemer the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have experienced together the great love of God in His Son to give His body for us and to give His shed blood for us. In the Scriptures, the Word of God says that in the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread and He gave thanks to the Father for it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the broken body of our Lord as we take this bread together. In like manner, Jesus took the cup And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. Let us partake of the cup. Thank you, Lord Jesus for willingly and knowingly going to the cross and suffering for us, for a sinful people. You gave your just and righteous life for us that we might 
Have your word implanted us and your spirit to indwell in us. And we thank you for this. And we rejoice in you, Jesus. We rejoice in you, for you are our redeemer. Let us sing with rejoicing hearts to you. In Jesus' name.